Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Keith Powell, who plays Twofer from one of my all-time favorite shows, 30 Rock. Just an incredible guy to talk to. He identifies himself as an artist, first and foremost. Just nothing specific, like an actor, a writer, a director. He loves to do everything, so he just calls himself an artist. It's so wonderful to hear. Something else that I really love talking about was his stories about how he's been working with NBC to film at home with his wife, who is also an actor. He's in the NBC comedy Connecting, which you can find now on demand on Peacock and on Hulu. Before we get into this, as always, please find me online at theater underscore podcast on facebook.com slash official theater podcast. You can visit me on the web at the theaterpodcast.com. Show your support for the podcast. Help the transcriptions keep going at ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Please leave a rating and a review. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Keith Powell. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You may most recognize our guest today for his series regular role as James Tufer Spurlock at NBC's Emmy award-winning comedy 30 Rock. Recently, he has mostly focused on writing and directing, and he's currently writing a feature for Film 44 and HBO Films, and is set to, to direct his first film, Buffalo. In addition, he directs for television, having helmed an episode of NBC's Superstore, and has a strong background in theater as well, having previously run his own theater company, and has performed at the Old Globe Playhouse and and several other places out on the West Coast. He wrote and directed every episode of his web series, Keith Broke His Leg, in which he also starred along with his wife. It won the Indie Series Award for Best Comedy, and he won the Best Actor in a Comedy as well, which is also being currently developed for television. He is now playing Garrett on the new NBC comedy, Connecting. Keith Powell, welcome to the theater podcast. What? Uh, that was a lot. That was a mouthful. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. I was watching Connecting, and I want to start with that because I feel it's so apropos to where we are right now. I'm yeah. recording from home in quarantine. You're <laughs> in an Airbnb in, in LA somewhere, and none of us have the ability to go see friends and you were telling me before we started recording that you're doing this you're doing pitches your comedy pitches for netflix and other networks and whatnot over zoom and losing connections and connecting on nbc is a comedy basically set in zoom land in virtual world it's entirely set through zoom and um it's one of those it was it was one of those opportunities 
where they gave me a call and said, do you want to do a show with your wife uh, and you never have to leave your house? And I was like, yes. <laughs> it wasn't even, it wasn't even like a hesitation. Um, um, but, but I found it so clever how they were able to make eight episodes um, and where you do kind of like the zoom melts away. Like you never really feel like you're just watching, um, zoom all day. Like, like you would in at home, you know, in your regular life, you, you really, it really, um, feels like it's a bunch of friends connecting with each other. And I, and I really loved that. Um, I really loved that energy uh, about the show. And that's why I wanted to do the show. Well, I was going to ask because I, I knew that your co-star like in the room that you're in is, is your wife. Mm -hmm. And it looks like there's high end studio grade <laughs> cameras and everything that are there what? with you. It's the, I, that's what I tell people. It's the best looking zoom you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> no, mis no dropped connections, no audio issues. And everybody is gorgeous. <laughs> right. Always full makeup. Perfect lighting. <laughs> right, exactly. But no, no, did, we shot it all on iPhones. No kidding. I was no. going to ask how you shot it. Yeah. I mean, there are some, uh, every episode has like little glimpses of them in their lives outside of it. So like it steps outside of the Zoom world and you see them just at home living and existing. And and we shoot those with, um, uh, with DSLR cameras. Um, you know, those, the, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. So, your so standard, your standard high, higher end. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and those are, um, um, you know, and we all have to do it ourselves and then they, you know, we record it ourselves and then jump in front of the camera and, you know, act and then they tell us where to set the camera up next but well that's what i was going to ask about because it's one of the biggest things i hear from uh you know friends in the broadway world and voiceover world and they're they're literally turning their coat closets their yeah. walk-in closets into sound booths because that's exactly. the smallest space they have with absorb with things that they can put on the walls that absorb sound and I've done stuff with people for radio plays where we built pillow forts around their microphone. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. <laughs> but for NBC with this massive <laughs> NBC universal budget, right? I mean, and, yes. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a massive budget. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, like if the, mostly if I'm going to see something on TV, I figured like, oh, it's a couple right. million that they throw at it and there's a crew and there's a grip and there's like, best boy and then the this that and the and the fly dude and whatever it is right we and, are all and so that's fascinating because I, the biggest complaint i hear from people is like now when i'm doing auditions i'm my own audio tech and yeah. camera person and everything else because someone was saying the audition they said in like a, a five minute self-tape and it took them five hours to set it, it up and so film long it. It, it yeah it really does i i think that the I th the good news is is that technology is improving, um, and so you can record a beautiful audition on your phone, right? But because technology is improving, you now have an expectation to make it look good, right? <laughs> <laughs> which takes time. And that's the thing that that's what happened with us with the show is is that 
we start, we would begin in the morning at like 7 a.m. And we would all set up our cameras and our light. And then, you know, and then someone would hop on Zoom and and just tell us what to do. So, you know, the, the, the DP would hop on Zoom and say, oh, turn, you know, your shutter speed down and take the ISO up and whatever it is. And then we do all those things. And then, you know, the grip people come on and they say, okay, you need to put your light over there and you need to have this over there. And then, you know, the sound person comes on and says, okay, attach the sound clip to this. And the, and that is a process that takes, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say that that's a process that takes like three or four hours because they wow. do it with every single person. And then we all record simultaneously. So it's like a play. And we just, they all just press record. We all, we all just press record and do the scene. And it'll be like an eight, nine, eight, 10 page scene that, that we're just, that, you know, we have had to have rehearsed ourselves, you know, the day before. Um, and, and then, then we, then they call lunch, but 90% of the time is us setting up the cameras and the lights and the sound and the, and, you know, they art, the art department comes and, tells us how, what things we need to get out of our house and what to replace them with and what console tables we need to build, you know? So it's, wow. a, long process. it's a long process. So ba yeah, basically you, you have become the entire crew. You've gone, you've yeah. gone back in time to your early career days of doing everything yourself. <laughs> it, it really does. It feels like summer stock. It feels like, like all hands on deck, all the actor and, you know, and, and all of our, all the, the, the whole cast, really got close because this is it it feels like you know back old theater days where you're just kind of like all right somebody's got to build the mantelpiece i mean you know <laughs> and it's, and it's <laughs> exactly it was actually really fun i thought i would be driven crazy by performing with my wife but i actually really enjoyed it <laughs> yeah, i think it's one of those things where you at the end of it you're either like we're we're done, or I right. I love you so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly so the the I think I would have just set up every shot and just left it. I wouldn't have touched it because people in theory aren't coming over anyway. Well, well, the thing. Well, first of all, our dining room was our like equipment room, so we just threw a bunch of stuff in there. It took two days to empty out that room. Wow. And yeah, there was just so much equipment in that room and it was, and it was just overrun. You could barely walk into that room. And then on top of that, we were the only, um, we were the only people in the cast who had a two story house. And, um, and so our house was, is kind of, is, is on the bigger side. And we were the only people in the show where, Every week and every scene was in a different location. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, there are some people who, like one of our one of our castmates named Eli. His entire character is that he's hunkered down in a basement, and so it's he's he's just one shot. He leaves the camera up. He just he walks in. He turns it on. He's like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> And then I'm sitting there for three, four hours setting a pulse <laughs> because, you know, it's a different location, but, but it was still fun. It was still good. Oh, I, yeah, I think 
I think that sound to me as someone who loves the techie side of stuff, I think that yeah. sounds incredibly fun. And you get to work with your wife and you get to roll out of bed and you're on set. <laughs> we have our, we, you know, we, we have a daughter who is, well, now she's 19 months. Um, but you know, she was like a year and a half oh, um, we shooting and, and then we, so we got a, a nanny who had to quarantine with us and, um, and, so, you know, my wife and I would be shooting and then every now and then we're like, oh, uh, pause, pause. Our child is screaming. <laughs> and then you hear her in the background just run, like tearing back and forth. Um, but actually, but that was the thing where, where, where our, our daughter, I, I feel like our daughter was very lucky because both of her parents had to go to work, but both of her parents had to, were in the same house while they were working. And, it, and, so we kind of felt like we were still there with her, you know. Um, that's like, yeah, that's, that's really nice, actually. Yeah. When when we went to lockdown here, you know, last last spring, you know, I have a, a four and a half and a six year old, and with my wife and I both having to work, we were yeah, we were just like the horrible parents giving them TV. We're like, just we don't know what we're doing. We just got to get oh, to work yeah. right now, and and just until we figure it out. Go be couch potatoes for oh, a little like bit. We're like that now, actually. <laughs> right now, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do with her. I'm just gonna put, I'm gonna turn on Sesame Street for hours and just let her go. I feel like now. Well, tell me, tell me too. And this, this kind of gets into a little bit of, uh, uh, of a personal side. Um, is that at the end of the year? The end of the year feels like sort of a relief anyway. Like a little pressure valve is being let out, and we can start again with with the new year. But this year has been a really crappy year. Oh God, yes. On many, many different levels, mm -hmm. and so now, like the the elections over, and <laughs> as we're recording this, a few days ago, Biden was officially confirmed by the Electoral yeah. College. So, like that. Yeah, um, and, and so we've got all of the political unrest happening all summer, along with the pandemic, along along with just yeah. everything. And then in the industry too, I mean, you're one of the lucky few who was able to continue to find a place to work in the middle of a pandemic, it right? Was, yeah, but you know, at the very beginning, it was very touch and go. And, and um, for some reason and I'm knocking on wood as I say this, because I recognize just how lucky I am because I now recurring on this is us. So, um, I jumped straight from connecting to doing this is us. And, and I'm also in the middle of trying to sell a show. Um, and for some, so, you know, when, when we began with the lockdown, I was writing this movie for HBO. And so I went, Oh, well, this will give me time to like, you know, you know, without distraction to kind of just focus on writing this movie. And then, um, you know, a couple months passed and then I got connecting. And so I kind of just jumped from um, job to job, thankfully, during this. And I never really had a chance to feel the, the terribly negative effects of quarantine. You know, I'm also, I'm also a... a Believe it or not, I'm an extreme introvert, so I I don't like leaving my house anyway. Oh, I, I very believe it. Most <laughs> wonderful actors are wonderful introverts, and um, and I also did the the Thirty Rock reunion um, right. in my house as well, and and I and, I, and so I gen, genuinely there was 
at the very beginning, it was scary just in terms of like, how are we going to pay our bills? But thankfully, it all kind of worked out. And in the, in the, in the scary moments of this pandemic, um, my grandmother used to say something to me that was very um, appropriate, I think. And uh, I've kept, I've held it with me and I, and I've, and it's, it's kind of the thing that has gotten me through the pandemic. And she used to say things like, what's yours will know your face. What's yours will know your face. I'm processing this. And, you know, as a young struggling actor, I never really believed that because I would always be like, well, I was supposed to get that job. <laughs> um, and she would, she would say to me, what's yours will know your face. And it didn't make sense really until the things that I was supposed to get, I got without really having to fight for it. There's a difference between fighting for something and working hard for something. Mm -hmm. And I never really had to fight for the things that were mine. I always had to work hard for them, but I never had to fight for them. And I think that that's what happened during this pandemic, that I got to just stop and do nothing. And all these things that knew my face found me. Oh, I love that. But, and you do a lot. You do a lot as well because, uh, I, I mean, I'm a fan of yours from 30 Rock. I, that's a show that I watched over and over again. Thank you. And... Yeah, obviously in the intro, you're doing this, uh, you're doing writing. You're obviously very heavy into writing. You've directed things. You have done theater. And so I feel like, well, I guess let me ask the question of you then. What, if you could pick one thing, if you had to pick one thing, what, what, what is calling to you the most? What knows most of your face? Um, I, I can't answer that. The reason, the, the, what I normally tell people is that I'm an artist and I'm a storyteller. And sometimes, um, you know, I think that acting, writing, and directing are, are all aspects of storytelling. And, you know, the actor is the vessel through which the story is told, the director is the teller of the story, and the writer is the creator of the story. And sometimes things, I, I, I want to tell stories. And sometimes it means that I get to to be the vessel through which the story is told. Sometimes it means I'm the actual storyteller. Sometimes I'm, it's the, it means that I'm the person who creates the story. And I, I kind of go where I'm, where I'm needed most. <laughs> and I, I, and so I don't, I don't like to, to, to I don't like to um, limit my, myself to going to saying I'm an actor who writes or I'm a director who acts or, you know, I don't want to limit myself in that way. I'm a storyteller and I'm an artist. Well, so 30 Rock then, you, you, ironically, I guess you were playing, you were in the writer's room of 30 Rock playing a writer. And, and <laughs> so you kind of get a little, I get to yeah. play with something in, in real life. But, um, you know, for me, that was, the behind the scenes of that, even though it was fictitious, was still one of the greatest parts of, yeah. of that show. And 
Well, tell me, tell me how you got connected with that in the first place, because there are so many great actors that have come out of that show, and of course, Alec and Tina being two yeah. of the two leads, right? Like learning from them had to just be this masterclass that you can't in, in education you can't pay for otherwise. It was, it was one of the greatest educations of my life. I, I, um, I mean, I w- learned how to work in television uh, on that show. Um, I was really young when I when I got on the show. I was 25, 26 years old when I got on it, and um, and I, up until that point, I had only done theater. So, so doing that show was a great education in that way. For me, I don't know. First of all, how I got on the show was I was about to direct a play that was going to go on a national tour um, starring Keith David and Jasmine Guy. And I wanted to get rid of the set designer. And I did. <laughs> No, and I, because I was young, I didn't know really how to. So I wrote a, it's you, it's not you, it's me letter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I couldn't find him. I like his emails were bouncing back. His number was disconnected. And so I gave it to his agent and his agent said, well, what are you doing right now? And I, cause he knew that I had acted in the, uh, re, like acted in regional theater. Um, in addition to directing and in the, in the theater. And, and I was like, I, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking about moving to LA and, you know, just kind of chilling out until I have to direct this play. And he said, well, in the meantime, do you want to just go on some auditions? And the first and only audition he sent me out on was 30 rock. Really? And, um, and then, it, uh, then he later died. Uh, his his name is uh, Brett Adams, was the agent, and he's a big theater. Uh, it's a big theater agency in New York now. And Brett Adams represented me during Thirty Rock, because Brett Adams himself was was like, yeah, there's this part that might be right for you. And that's how I got on Thirty Rock. And and um, and the way what I always tell people, and because uh, uh, there's a lot of there was for a time some dude who who got really close to getting the part of twofer um and and didn't get it uh and i got it instead obviously and um and you know he talked about a lot about it in the press about how i how how they kind of stole his stuff and i and i don't see it that way i think that the reason why i got twofer and and why I was um, what what worked in the part for me was that twofer didn't see himself as a joke. Twofer, you know, the the idea of twofer was that he's a, he's black and he's educated and he's from Harvard and Mm -hmm. that two for one in a writer's room that you get a minority hire and and a smart hire. And he was written kind of as the butt of a joke, that it was funny that he was black and smart and from Harvard. And I, and I always wanted to approach Tufer as if he was, um, as if he didn't understand what, the, what was so funny. Everybody in his world went to Harvard. Everybody in his world is black. And that's not, it's not a joke. And I think that that take on the character was something different that Tina hadn't seen. 
Mm-hmm. And I think was was what got me the part. That's what I was going to actually bring up was was that the character you you never made fun of yourself to you twofer like to yes. twofer your reality was I'm here because I deserve to be here exactly. as much as everybody else. Why why are you making fun of me? Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, listen, there are things to make fun of within that. I mean, you know, that self-assurance, there are things to make fun of. But but it was important to me to make sure that Tufer never saw himself as a as a joke. That he took himself seriously, maybe way too seriously, but he <laughs> took himself seriously. Did you have conversations with Tina or did she have conversations with you about like where the line was, if anything was too far to to bring up in terms of the the joke of no, we never race. Uh, we never had those conversations. There were times where there were scripts um, that that where things went too far, in my opinion. And I I when I could, I voiced those opinions. And sometimes um, sometimes they were listened to. Sometimes they weren't. Um, but I, but I never felt like I, I needed to hold back, uh, on it. I, I know that, you know, they, they have a big writer's room and, and NBC has, um, has some sort of a, a sensitivity, um, uh, executive who always had conversations with them about race and the scripts. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it was what? This was 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, they, they weren't called sensitivity executives. I, they were, I don't know what they were called. Probably diversity inclusion. But I still, don't know. 15 years ago, DNI was still sort of unheard of, especially yeah, at, at yeah. that kind of level. I mean, you know, there was, there were, there was moments where there, there was some issues racially, but, I would talk to to an executive at NBC and the NBC executive said, yeah, I flagged that. And that's a conversation that we're going to have. I never felt like it. Um, I never felt like I couldn't say something. That's wonderful. I'm really happy to hear that, especially yeah. you know, the last couple of years with all of the scandals and oh, the, the Me Too. Well, yeah, it was Dirty Rock itself that, that, that had to take off um, its blackface episodes. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. So, yeah, um, it's, it's a, and I, I, I will say that Tina Fey is probably the best boss I've ever had. And, um, um, and I, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, she's really talented. <laughs> <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> so it's, it was really exciting to cut, to go to work with, just just 800 pound gorillas of talent <laughs> you know oh yeah oh gosh like <laughs> working with her definitely on my bucket list i've i've interviewed several people from mean girls too who have said oh yeah who've said the same thing just yeah. collaborative nice talented and just whip smart whip smart so, so, so she's got three four things going on in her brain all at once and she's answering every one of those questions simultaneously (laughs) (laughs) we're going to take a short break stay tuned for more of the episode
let's back up in your life, though. You said, I didn't know uh, 30 Rock was your first TV show, but let's back up. You did theater before that, but then where? I, I, did, I did guest spots on, on Law & Orders. Well, if you're, if you're in New York, of I mean, course. I yeah. mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do. You play cadaver number six, but, you know. Um, but I still count that. No, young, young, young Keith, where did you grow up and what got you into theater? I was born in Philadelphia, but I spent a lot of my childhood in California, in Monterey, California. And then uh, we moved from Monterey back to the East Coast when I was about 11 or 12. And um, I went to Midlands High School in Delaware. And Delaware kind of claims me now. So uh, people tell me like that I should just cut straight to the Delaware years with where I grew up. Um, uh, so I, and I did a lot of, um, community theater in Delaware and, and I did a lot of community theater in Delaware with some people who are now very famous. Um, um, John Gallagher Jr. Who won a Tony for Spring Awakening, mm-hmm. um, was, was, uh, you know, at, at the, at the, community theater that I performed at and we, we were friends then I've known him since he was 11 or 12 years old and Aubrey Plaza I've known since she was 11 or 12 years old. And wow. Lots of really wonderful people all kind of stuck together and then grew up in the industry together. And I was one of those people in Delaware. And then I went to NYU and I just stayed in New York city. Um, and in the middle of all that, I started a theater company. And my grandmother, uh, who was one of my parents, um, got diagnosed with terminal cancer. And mm. I went back to Delaware to take care of her, help take care of her in the last uh, couple of years of her life. And I, when you're in Delaware, um, you know, um, you you get bored. And, <laughs> and so I uh, found a theater. Uh, I've, I started a theater company in Delaware and I was the artistic director of it for a while. And, and, um, um, Lynn Redgrave did my very first play. Wow. Um, It was extraordinary. And, and that's what I, I say that that was my graduate school, right? I was 23 years old and, and I was producing a play with Lynn starring Lynn Redgrave and just learning from her Watching her every day in rehearsals was, I mean, you, you don't get a better education than that. So early success then, would you attribute that to perseverance or ignorance? Both. Because <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah, both. I mean, like, I mean, go ahead, sorry. I'm sorry, there was, there's so many people that I've talked to who have had early success in life like that, like early mid-20s, who are just like, if I knew how hard it was, I would have never done it. Well, I, I at 23 years old, I set about raising $200,000 to do a play. And I mean, who the fuck does that? I'm, I don't know if you cuss on this, but like, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> and and like, that's that takes some balls. And I... By sheer miracle, we we did it and we we got it. And I I you know I've I've always it was it was good to begin that way. And and everyone told me I couldn't do it. And 
it was good to begin that way and for it to have worked out because it's just now how I live my artistic life where I just go, it's just better to do it. It's let's just do it. And, and then of course it might all crash down around us, but, <laughs> but the chances of it, it, like it's too great of a reward to, for, for, for us to not just do it. That, that's the same thing with so many things in life that if you don't try, you'll never know. No risk without reward. Exactly. You're, you know, the worst you can hear is no, et cetera. There was somebody who told me the other day that they hear their friends going to auditions and say that, you know, they're like, oh man, I messed that up. I lost that audition. I lost that role. That role was mine. And it, no, it never was. It, it was never yours. It was never yours. And, and you know what? It's, it's interesting because um, um, I had this conversation with my wife who went to, um, she, my wife is an, well, my, my, my wife is a visual artist, but she is also an actress. She's, she went to Brown Trinity Rep um, um, grad school uh, in acting. And, and um, in her early career as an actress, she would always be like, oh man, I really, I really didn't get that part and it got me really sad. And I would say, how can you mourn for something that you never, that was never yours in the first place? <laughs> she was like, shut up, Keith. <laughs> oh, I, I get a lot of shut up, Keith. I still get a lot of shut up, Keith. <laughs> but, but that's kind of the way that I see when I don't get something, um, when I get really, really close to getting something and don't get it. I go, I can't mourn for it because it was never supposed to be mine in the first place. I think that that's resilience. That That is learned resilience. Well, I guess, is it self-taught or is it learned? Oh, I, mean, I mean, I've had a lot of heartbreak <laughs> in my career. So I, I, I think it's, it's survival. It's a survival mechanism, maybe. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, other, I mean, you know, my mother and my, my grandmother were very resilient people. Um, and, um, and of course I, I'm, I'm, of course I've gotten some of that from them, but I don't know. I, you know, it's a, it's a lot of failure. I, I, um, what I, another thing that I always say, I mentor young, um, NYU graduates who've just left NYU and have moved to Los Angeles, and I mentor a new crop every year. And I always tell them, you know, the key to success is figuring out how to survive in an industry that needs you, but doesn't want you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if, you've, if you have that mindset, like I'm never, I'm never, you're not getting rid of me because you need me. <laughs> Even though you say you don't want me, then, then I feel like you, that eventually success will happen. I literally <laughs> had this conversation <laughs> a few hours ago with a friend of mine who was like, yeah, my success is half perseverance and half resilience. Because also a tremendous amount of luck. Oh, that, that too. Being at the same place, same time. I mean, that's the trifecta yeah. of being a performer. Yeah. Is that the, the last third of it is you just have to be at the right place at the right, right. time. But right. you go back over and over again after hearing no. So you know it yeah. all works together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I honestly, um, you know, I 
to be an actor means that you're facing mass failure and rejection on a daily basis. And that's the rejection you hear about. (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? (laughs) You're not even like counting the rejection that your agent or your manager has faced and has not told you. (laughs) And, um, and, and you, there needs to be some sort of guiding light through it. So and through me, it's, it's I need to tell stories, and I need to. And if I'm not going to tell a story as an actor, I'm going to tell a story as a director. And if I'm not going to tell a story as a director, I'm going to tell a story as a writer. And well, okay. So what I was going to say was, so through th- through all of that, how do you personally not take it personally? You you don't. I mean, you you take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that sucks, and you know, I get depressed. Uh, you get depressed for. I've now gotten my depression when I don't get something down to like a matter of like an hour. Oh, that's <laughs> not a big thing. Like a couple hours. But I don't know. I mean, you know, how do you not take it? I don't know how you not take it personally. I, you, you just do. But, but, but you can't, you can't reject yourself. So if you're relying on yourself to to um, create the art that you want to create, then you'll all, you'll have a 100% success rate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's the, and so I see the work outside of the work that I do for me to be, Oh, thank God I can pay my rent this, this, or my mortgage this month, you know, um, Great, I get health insurance. Now let me go back to working on the thing that I wanted to work on. Um, and I think that that's kind of, I don't know. I don't know, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, I just, sometimes I take it personally. I don't, yeah, I, don't <laughs> I, I don't see, I guess, I don't see how most people don't. I know some who are just like, yeah, shrug it off and they're fine. And there's got to be some level of financial security behind that too, because if well, you're counting on something, yeah, if you're counting on something to pay your mortgage, yeah. obviously it's got to come from somewhere. If you don't get it, that's devastating. I, yes, yes. And I've yet to figure out what that magic thing is because eating is important. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> um, um, I just know that I can't rely, I can't rely on other people to pay me to be an artist. I have to, I have to rely, uh, um, I have to be an artist independent of being paid. Ah, it's, yeah, yeah. The, the job of being an artist and the fulfillment from being an artist have to be separated. And I, I can, yeah. yes, 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 yes. And when you don't I mean, get what you want, you create it. And I mean, again, I'm going to knock on every friggin' piece of wood I can because I have been placed in a situation, in, a, in an environment where I've thankfully, at least for this year, don't have to consider money. Um, and, um, and Lord, I, I'm now in it so deep. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do if I don't 
consider the money. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to do now. Uh, <laughs> if if the money dries up and and I need to pay my mortgage next month, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't do it. I have no other skills. <laughs> um, I mean, I started. I I there was one time where I took on a semester of teaching at a college because I was afraid that I wasn't going to get health insurance. And then that's when I got like every big friggin' job possible in that year. And I had to like squeeze in teaching. And um, you, you can't enjoy any of it when your time is stretched like no, that. No, no. And that's, that's the hard part about acting in my one of one of many, not the one of many hard parts is that if you, you can't live to work, but yeah. you need to work to live. And yeah, if you're taking survival jobs, I mean, a friend of mine calls them for now jobs, but yeah. sometimes you need them to survive. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mental health, of course, is part of all this, your physical health, and then your whole income in general, like health insurance. We're a country without nationalized health care. I mean, I mean, that's every, I, you know, um, when 30 Rock ended, I have been freaking out every year about getting health insurance since 30 Rock ended. And that was what, eight years ago, nine years mm -hmm. ago? Every year, freaking out. And then, miraculously, at the last minute, I would get something that makes the health insurance kick in. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, but, but it's a yearly stress. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to, how to beat that or how to not take it personally, obviously, if I don't. Right. Well, you've got so many irons in the fire now and, and that it's I think it's just going to be one of those things now where over the next couple of years it's just going to be one thing after another after another that are just going to hit that's what, I, that's what I've learned I mean those irons yeah that's what I've learned I've learned that every day I need to wake up being an artist I have to do something creative every single day and sometimes that's making the perfect omelet Right. <laughs> but, some, but, but hopefully if, if you have 365 tries in a year to work at some artistic endeavor and, um, hopefully you do that in different ways with in different days, you foster a, a stable of thing of stable of projects that you are trying to get off the ground. And hopefully that's, one of them will hit that'll allow you to take the other 365 is four days to, to try to find the next thing. Um, well, yeah, yeah. You've got writing feature films for mm -hmm. obviously film 44 and HBO films that HBO and film 44, of course, no small potatoes. That's going to be good. Mm -hmm. And then Keith broke his leg mentioned as being developed for television. So real quick, just tell me about Keith broke his leg, which is your yeah. web series. Well, this is actually a great example, and that that actually is a good bridge to it. When Thirty Rock ended, I was struggling to find my own artistic voice or a comedic voice, and I, you know, I'd been living in Tina Fey's head for so long, um, and so all the I was the vessel through, through which, um, you know, a lot of the Tina Fey jokes were were made, and and so 
I didn't feel I needed to reconnect with who I am as an artist. Um, and, and so I had, um, a minor surgery that left me incapacitated for a week. It wasn't breaking my leg, but, but during that time, because I wake up every day going, how can I be creative today? During that time, I started to, to put together in my head, well, if I were going to have my show, this wouldn't what my show would be like and how I would do it. And it and and, and kind of the seeds of Keith Broca's leg happened. And um and so it took place, it's not my home anymore, but it took place in my old home. And um with my starring my wife, every <laughs> character in the in the show are the actual people who are playing them. And um and it and it and it became a tremendous big artistic artistically fulfilling reclaiming who i am as an artist uh, process i wrote directed and starred in all the episodes and you know some of them are great and some of them are <laughs> need some work <laughs> but what i i had a i had a goal in mind that this show needed to completely come from basically my id. So I gave myself only one rewrite of each draft. Wow. So every time I wrote a script, I just vomited out on the play page. And then I went go back and make some, you know, grammatical changes. But it was so basically what you see is what you get. So I was able to, as an artistic exercise, able to see what is going on in my brain. <laughs> it sounds like like a form of journaling where you're just like yeah you just spew it out and all of a sudden it's gonna it's an active tv yeah exactly yeah. But, but and and the show i'm so proud of the show because the show is nuanced and it is interesting and it's not just joke after joke after joke. It, I mean, it's not that at all. So there are some episodes that, that don't try to be funny. I mean, like there was just sometimes where it, it, it lives within the boredom of the character who, who's incapacitated, you know, and, but everything is like, everything is so thought out. And of course not all the episodes work, but the a majority of them do. And I really love just how it how it operates because it it kind of reset my brain it reset my brain to be this is the way i tell stories and this is the way and that's not a bad thing that makes sense oh it makes total sense it makes total yeah. sense and and everyone has to has to find who they are and some find it through singing some find it through acting some find it through writing some find it through running you know people yeah. go ahead no i just watched um a movie called the 40 year old version Mm-hmm. Um, version, not virgin. And um uh Rada Blank, I think her name is. And it's about her as a theater artist. And 40-year-old version also stands for Find Your Own Voice. And it's a movie about her living in the theater world as a playwright and not feeling heard. And then she becomes a rapper. And um and then through that, she finds what her voice is. And uh, that was, I mean, I think that's my favorite movie this year. It's like, 
I would definitely, it's on Netflix if anybody, I don't know why I'm now promoting Netflix, but <laughs> Netflix, you should watch it. It's, it's, and especially for theater people, it's, it's, it's a brilliant way of uh, study on how one finds their own voice. Well, I think that that is super important this year of all years. Yeah. That, and, and, and we're coming, I mean, we're coming to so many cultural reckonings this year and band-aids have been ripped off of many things that have been hidden for <laughs> <laughs> generational, institutional generations. Uh, and one of the things that I, that I like that's happening right now is that as a society, as a country, that we're starting now to talk about publicly mental health, like the younger generation. Yeah. And yeah. like our, our parents right now are of that generation where they're like, I'm not allowed to talk about therapy. Therapy's, therapy's not cool. And then yeah. there was sometime recently, it was a couple of months ago, not oh, many months ago, actually, is the last time I was able to socialize with people. Um, <laughs> I had, I was hanging out with a friend who I hadn't, hung out with in, in person in a while and he and I don't I forget how therapy came up and I said and I'm 40. I am the 40 year old version of myself. <laughs> I'm and, the 40 year old version. So I understand. <laughs> and and he asked about therapy or something and I was like, I, I'm embarrassed to talk about this, but you know what? You know, I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna see what happens. And I said, "Yeah, I'm seeing a therapist now, and I and I, and it's mm -hmm. she's great, and all et cetera, et cetera." And he and I was expecting to be made fun of. That was for some reason what I wanted to or what I was expecting to hear. And immediately, his first response was, "Oh, do you like her? I'm looking for a new therapist myself." Huh? That's great, though. It is. And it was that moment where I said, "Oh." It's okay to talk about it, mm -hmm. right? It just clicked. I we I I mean because especially unfortunately in the black community, there's there you know the 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 idea of therapy is looked down on. But I I got to tell you the my life changed when I started therapy. Yeah, I and I started to see how much. I've repressed and how much I am um, my, my daily life is a reaction to my past. And, um, and I, and I think that the stigma of going to therapy has lifted because we are, we now see people in bigger um, spaces who are who are emotionally more healthy and they attribute it to therapy and so that stigma is starting to lift right my mother my 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 um my aunts now all go oh wait so did you talk to your therapist this week mm -hmm. <laughs> you know um which is not something that they would ever have done in the past and i and i think it's because we have people in prominent positions who who are showing the benefits of it. Well, it's, it's vulnerability too. It's showing vulnerability. Yeah. It's allowing yourself to be seen as more human. And mm -hmm. the people who are talking about it are getting validated because everyone else is going, oh, they're quietly raising their hand and saying, oh, me, me, me too. Yeah. I, I feel this way too. I'm having yeah. the same anxiety, the same issues with depression. I, I also think that there that that thankfully 
We are a society that is tearing down, as, well, the young people who are tearing down. The young people? The young, the young <laughs> um, They're tearing down gender norms, yeah. right? And so, you know, um, the, the idea of what is masculine or what is feminine um, is being stripped away. And, and, uh, and, and, and within that is that you can be masculine or feminine and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that I'm God bless the youngins for that. Well, they don't, the majority don't statistically, they don't identify with one sexual preference. They like over half. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm that, that would have been unheard of. And when I was in high school in the 90s, absolutely heard of, and I, and I just, I think it's, it's inspiring, um, that we're, that we're not, that, that, you know, gender and sexuality are not a or B. Well, I, yeah, I enjoy now too, that we're seeing more mainstream characters in our media and will and grace of course historic mm-hmm. for putting gay characters at the center of a story mm-hmm. but i i enjoy now that there are queer characters that the main point of them being in the story is has nothing to do with them nothing to do with their, their sexuality right. yes absolutely absolutely and this is and what's because uh, it's what i've been fighting for as a minority as a black person where you know, I never, I didn't get called in for things unless the part specifically said that it was for a black person. And I, the industry slowly ship, chipping away at that. I, it could go a little faster in my mind. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that we've now reached a point where um, defining you does not define you, if that makes sense. Your demographic, your your public, your external demographic characteristics does not define you, and yeah. and and I think that we need to see more of that in 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 television and film, and especially in theater. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, there was so much that Rent changed about the industry for that exact reason, and then mm-hmm. you've got Hamilton changing for that exact reason again, mm-hmm. and now I really enjoy that there are that national tours and 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 international productions of casts that traditionally were one color or, yep. you know, casting characters that, that traditionally were all of the same ethnic background that now are, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Yes. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in colorblind casting. I believe in color conscious casting. Yes. And, um, and that's also a big change that I, that I love that the youngins are embracing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those youngins. All right. So there are three questions that I ask everybody to wrap up every podcast episode. The first one is what motivates you? Um, Oh God, my family. Mm. I mean, Obviously, for the the deeper, you know, for the superficial reason of I need, I want to provide for them, but also because I want, I want to tell our story to the world. Go out and tell your story. Let it echo far and wide. <laughs> I love it. 
Oh gosh, I love that song. Okay, <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? What's yours will know your face. Oh, beautiful! I, I, I really like that. Okay, hardest question now. Last one. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see oh. it as many times as you want, what would you see? You're talking about plays. Anything. Uh, Interpret as you want. Every episode of 30 Rock with you in it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually haven't watched 30 Rock since. Um, since we've gotten off the air. Um, I would be horrified to, to see myself now, I think. Um, oh, good Lord. I don't know. Oh, God. There are some theater pieces that I have seen that have absolutely changed my life and have blown me away. Um that I would love to just go back and watch again. Um, I, I think Intimate Apparel is uh, when Viola Davis did it, it was... She's phenomenal. Incredible to watch. I, I think, believe it or not, I think The Goat, I saw The Goat, on, and, and, I, and I think I saw it like four times. I, I found something new in it each time. Mm. Um... um uh, I, I rewatch Mad Men. I have never uh, seen Mad Men. It is, it is, it's Chekhov. I mean, the show is Chekhov. It's, it's, it's Chekhov in the best way. And, uh, and I rewatch The Sopranos. Yes. Um, I want to, I, I want to, I wish I could say I rewatched something like super blackety, but. <laughs> 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 so, so maybe one day I'll, I'll come back to, to a show that's like, no, no, this is the blackest show I can think of. And I'll watch it every day. <laughs> just hit me on social media and I'll, I'll, I'll add it. <laughs> so speaking of social then, where can we find you online? Um, on Instagram, I'm, on, I'm by Keith Powell, B-Y, Keith Powell. And on Twitter, I'm Keith Powell, K-E-I-T-H-P-O-W-E-L-L. And everybody make sure to watch Connecting on Hulu and on Peacock, NBC's streaming service. All right, you can get more of me now at thetheaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review. This is edited by Matthew Hendershot. Music you're hearing right now by Jukebox, The Ghost, and Keith Powell. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.